2: Visit LiveNation.com slash to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
3: I want to start by asking you all a question. How do you deal with pressure? And I'm not talking about your everyday pressure. I'm talking about prime time pressure.
0: Are you ready yet? Here we are. <laughs> Kick off a second away.
3: Actually... Super Bowl level pressure.
0: Super Bowl 55 is underway with a run back three yards deep.
3: My guest today lives that kind of pressure. Sarah Thomas officiated Super Bowl 55 in 2021, becoming the first woman in NFL history to do so.
4: Anytime I walk through that tunnel, I flip a switch. And knowing that it was the Super Bowl and all the hard work that I put in that year with the crew I was on, is just amazing.
3: On this episode of Earning It, Sarah takes us into that moment and that long road she walked before it. Hi, everybody. I'm Sam Rapoport. If you've listened to our first few episodes... You know this podcast is about a group of people working behind the scenes at the NFL to bring talented, football-minded women to the forefront of the game. We've sat down with owners, coaches, the commissioner, but today marks a first. Actually, the first. Sarah Thomas is the first woman in NFL history to officiate a Super Bowl. She's also the first woman to officiate a major college game and a bowl game. Basically, she's been breaking grass ceilings since the mid-90s.
2: Well, Jim, we saw Sarah Thomas make the call on that fourth down. History has been made today as she becomes the first female to officiate a Super Bowl. I
4: did want to do a snow angel in the confetti, but I didn't. I, I refrained. <laughs> but um, it was another game to us, Sam. And, and I just flipped that switch, and I know I've got to go and work, and I've got to To be with this elite crew, we did an amazing job, and we just want to go unseen, and and I believe we did. Outside of maybe, there was a little piece of
3: history. It's important to note that Sarah Thomas wasn't placed on that elite crew because she's a woman. NFL officials are graded each week during the season. Imagine at work, your every move is televised, taped, and scrutinized. She made the Super Bowl crew— because she had the highest scores at her position, called down judge.
4: Every game, even preseason, we we are graded. And we're graded not only on the, the fouls that we, we throw, but, you know, if we miss something. I mean, you do not want to miss something. Um, and it's not as if I've ever thought, oh, gosh, I, I, if I miss this, I'm not going to get a postseason assignment. I, I can't think that way. I don't think that way. I've got to be in the moment. Um, and every snap. And so at every game, every play is looked at in the NFL. And you don't want to have those mistakes. And there is no hiding as an official that ranks number one. I mean, you cannot hide in this occupation. And so when I got the call, I had worked uh, a playoff game two weeks before. And when I got the call from Wayne Mackey, We were just kind of going over a couple of things. And he said, well, he said, you're going to nail them again whenever you work Super Bowl 55 in Tampa. I had to pull over on the side of the road, you know, to make sure I didn't lose cell service and that I wasn't hearing something that wasn't true. And uh, just just knowing. And he said, you've earned it
2: to be number one in her position. And as a result, she got the opportunity today. Sarah said she probably will get a little teary-eyed, but knowing the impact that she is having, not just on her daughter, but on young girls everywhere, is just
0: remarkable. Yeah, she's inspiring a lot of young women up there, and that's great to see, and she's talented too.
4: You have that—that that, those moments where it's just like, yes, you do, Sam. You get the chills, the roar of the crowd your crewmates going on our little devices and going, Hey, you nailed it. Or you being able to tell that to your partner. And, and we just operate as one out there, but yeah, first quarter, second quarter, and you go on into half, you break down uh, the plays, you know, and stuff at at halftime. We don't have a whole lot of time to do it. And then you go back out and you got to know the kickoff of the third is just as important as the kickoff of the first. So it's all right, get back in gear. And you know, if it's, if it's 37 to seven, this is the NFL it could be tied by the end of the third quarter. I mean, it's like you just go back out and it's, it's a tied
3: game. So that's interesting. And for fans, we call it O2O, which is official to official communication. Those are the the headsets that the officials are wearing so they can communicate with each other. So Sarah, when you or anyone ha- makes a great call, is that what's going on? Yes. And I love it because before we had the o you
4: were kind of like out on an island by yourself. I mean, you had the teams and you may have your deep wing, but you weren't you weren't able to completely communicate with the guy across the field from you. And now it's just like, hey, if I get a spot from my cross field guy, he's like, thanks, Sarah. I'll even tell him, hey, I got you. I got you. And just being able to communicate like that has definitely elevated our game in precision and just, you know, that um, that zone that we all stay in. And knowing, Hey, there's seven of us down there and two in the booth. And uh, we're, we're there as one unit.
3: The officials are really the third team on the field during a game. They have so much responsibility. One call can completely shift the momentum of a game.
4: One thing that you'll see, a lot of us officials, we um, are kind of emotionless. Like you don't see the emotion, maybe at certain times. And I remember early on in the years where we may laugh or smile and our, our supervisors would tell us, hey, you don't need to do that. Um, but the intensity level—we just know you're going out for that second half. I know fans are anticipating. Hey, these are the last two quarters of the entire season. The Super Bowl—you've got one team that's ahead, and, and like I said, any time it could be a very one-sided game, but it could switch real quickly. But we just have to keep the same level of intensity um, throughout the game. If you ever lose focus as an official, you will miss a very crucial next play. So you just have to stay focused.
0: The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a second Super Bowl title in franchise history.
3: So, Sarah, the clock hits zero. The Buccaneers win the Super Bowl. What's going on on O2O? And what's your next move after the game is over? Yeah, so
4: when the game was over... Odo, somebody may have said, hell of a job. And then we all came together on one sideline and we hugged each other's neck and we were saying, yeah, hell of a job. We did a great job. And then when that was over, we went back to the locker room and I picked up my phone and my oldest said, mom, can we please get a picture with you? So I said to security, can I, can I get a picture? And of course, all the crew comes in and we're hugging and hugging and high-fiving and, you know, we did we did an elite, amazing job.
3: We were all fascinated, of course, by seeing a woman calling penalties on that Super Bowl field. But coming up, hear Sarah Thomas tell us how she got there in the first place.
4: I was told no, that I couldn't make the A-team in sixth grade because I was a girl. I couldn't do this because I was a girl. And we want to look at them as roadblocks, Sam. We don't go through them. And I've just learned we got to change those roadblocks to speed bumps and And just look through that that windshield and don't focus on the rearview mirror and just go for it.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day.
2: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 seconds from Mars, Owen oh, Two Door Cinema Club.
3: My guest, Sarah Thomas, grew up in Mississippi, a passionate athlete. She played softball and was an excellent college basketball player. Her path to becoming a football official was hardly straightforward.
4: Yes, yeah, Sam, I jokingly say I hated the officials when I played sports and truth be told, they hated me. But that's the truth. I was like I was a basketball player. I was that player that would push the envelope. Yeah, I've got four fouls, but I'm doing everything I can to make you call that fifth one on me. I mean, I was that player and, and I and I would tell the you know myself, like, we see you out here, you officials. We see you in the black and white stripes. We know you can blow the whistle. You're the authoritative figure. But after playing college basketball. I had always played pickup basketball with my brothers and this guy's team, and I was always the only girl. And I'd been in this men's church league for three years, and we had just won the championship. And a few days after that, this guy came up to me. He said, hey, Sarah, I'm sorry about what happened last night. And I said, what are you talking about? And He said, you don't know. And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, they voted you out of the men's league last night. And I was like, Why? And he said, well, because you're a girl. And I was like, well, I've been in this league for three years. Are they just now realizing it? Yeah. So I said, was anybody there from my team? Because no one from my team said this was happening because they knew I would be there if that was the case. And he said, no, there was no one there. And so I said, I'm going to protest the vote. So we had a revote, and it came down to a tie. It was eight versus eight. And there were these two brothers. And I can't remember who they are, but I guarantee it they remember who I am. <laughs> <laughs> but they were so dirty. They would try to trip me. They would hold my jersey. They would try to elbow me. I'll just post them up and turn around, shoot on them or whatever. Well, they brought up this boat. And so the preacher of the church league asked, like, why don't you want her in this league? And he said, well, when she posts us up or we post her up, it just feels funny. Well, Sam, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll speak by mind at times. And uh, so I just looked at him and I said, you know what? I know I'm going to get the boot. If y'all didn't have the decency to allow my team to have a vote in the original vote. I said, but I'm, I I know I'm going to get the boot. So I looked at that guy and I said, let me tell you something. I said, as fast paced of a game as basketball is, if you get some type of sexual sensation out of this, you don't need to be playing the game of basketball. (laughs) And so I walked out of that, that gymnasium. That's what I tell everybody. I said, sexual sensation in the Baptist gymnasium, you know, I was toast. I was history. (laughs) And so I call up my dad. I'm 23 and I'm furious. I mean, I'm crying. I'm, I'll never get, I'm like, dad, you got to be kidding me. I mean, i played sports my whole life from five and, and because I'm a girl, I can't play. It's not like I'm doing this to bust up the good old boys club. It's just, they didn't have a, a woman's league. And I was trying to work from eight to five. I couldn't drive to Gulfport. I didn't have the money to do it. And I, I it was about a couple of months. I mean, I was distraught Well, my older brother Lee who I, I jokingly say was average at best as an athlete. And he could kill me, you know, when I say that. But we were on the phone and asking asked him what he was doing that evening. I was like, I could care less what you were doing, brother, at that time. And if you said something, I definitely probably wasn't going to join you. But when he said he was going to a football officials meeting, I just said, can girls do that? But I walked in that first meeting, Sam, and I was shocked that these guys actually took pride in what they were doing. They were challenging each other on you know, what if scenarios, plays that may happen, rules. And I loved it. I was like, if I'd have known this as an athlete, I may would have changed my perspective of them. Then that competitive side of me, I was like, I don't I don't know anything about the game of football. I'm sure there's still people that think I don't know anything about the game of football, but I didn't know that there was, you know, eleven on eleven. I didn't know that the numbers on the jersey meant something. I mean, it was a huge learning curve for me. I thought I knew what holding was.
3: So imagine. You're a young woman walking into a room full of men, asking to be a part of their club, a club you know very little about.
4: But yeah, I walked in and sure enough, they just stopped. There were a lot of them that just stopped, like looking to see. And George Nash, uh, he stared me down and I said, hey, I said, I said, is this where you become a football official? And I can't repeat exactly what George said, but then he said, I guess so.
3: George Nash was one of Sarah's early mentors.
4: He said, Sarah, we had never had a woman to walk in. And he said, I really thought you were somebody's wife coming to make sure her husband was at the place he told her he was going to be at. And he said, but (laughs) then whenever the guys would come up to me and they'd be like, why is she here? What is she doing? She doesn't know anything about football. And this is what George said. It's always great to have that one advocate or mentor that is in a position, much like Roger Goodell and Walt Anderson and Dean Blandino that hired me, that one strong advocate, George just looked at him and said, all right, can we just point out a few things? She is by far more athletic than we are. She's younger than us. So she's got to have better eyesight than us. And she's a graduate from the university, which you haven't graduated from. You haven't either. So he said, she's <laughs> got to be smarter than us. And so if I hadn't, I had that in George, but yeah, the, the stairs there. And then also the field, especially when I got to college officiating, the high school kids, I think they were just glad to be out there and they wanted to win. But when I got the players, they would turn around and they go, oh, that's a woman. That's a woman. And of course, some of my peers is just like, you know, what is she, what is she up to? What is she trying to do? And, and that's where I've learned that lesson. I can't try to prove people wrong. That list of people will never end and you will exhaust yourself on doing that, but you just spend the time and energy on proving that you belong and try to master your craft, and things will fall into place.
3: Sarah spent the next decade learning about football, officiating Pee Wee high school, and eventually collegiate games. In 2007, you were the first woman to af- officiate a college football game. 2009, you were the first woman to officiate a bowl game. And then in to- 2013, you were one of 21 finalists in the NFL's Officiating Development Program. And then two years later, first woman to officiate in the NFL full time.
4: Being selected to the 21 was huge and being a part of the, the, the training camps and, and things that they would send me to and asking questions, being on time, controlling the things you can control, because uh, chemistry off the field is just as important as it is on the field. And so, Sam, I just think a lot of hard work and staying humble and surrounding yourself with good people and not be afraid of failure. I just would want to say those are some of the characteristics that, you know, play a huge part in it. And then, you know, just try not to make the mistakes of screwing up the game and throwing a flag when you shouldn't and not throwing it when you should.
3: Right. So 2015, you're the first woman hired as a full-time official for the NFL. And then four seasons later, you're the first female on-field official in playoff history during a divisional round playoff game between the Chargers and the Patriots. Hillary Clinton was tweeting you. Billie Jean King was tweeting you. Everyone was losing their minds when you got that playoff assignment. Again, because of your grades and how you performed that season. So talk to me a little bit about playoff game. What's going through your mind? Is it the same as a Super Bowl where it's just another game? Or do you have a moment where like, what is my life? What is going on here? I'm officiating a playoff game. Yeah, you know, that fourth season, whenever
4: Ron Tolbert called me and he said, Sarah, I want to congratulate you on being assigned to the, the Chargers-Patriots playoff game. And I said, Ron, am I on the field or am I an alternate? And he said, you're on the field. Yeah, I screamed like a girl. I was stoked, for sure. And I can't say, you know, it's just, I, I feel like I was so new. It seemed like, yes, my fourth season, but gosh, I, yeah, I was I was pumped. Getting that very first playoff assignment, kind of like getting hired in the NFL and then with growth and experience and being around the guys.
3: Sarah, talk to me a little bit about the reaction from players, right? You're in very close proximity to players, coaches, coaches screaming in your face, players interacting with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your interaction with NFL players during games and and how that lives out for you?
4: I'm going to tell you, uh, it, it's, it's an equal opportunity employer, Sam. We get chewed out. I get chewed out just like the guys do. I mean, the players are passionate. They're, I mean, this is their livelihood. And, and I, I take preseason games as serious we do as, as regular season because it can mean the difference in some guy's career, right? I mean, it's important. Anything to do with the National Football League is important and it's meaningful to everybody. And they all have a mama, is what I like to say. And you would be shocked. People would be shocked at the number of players that come up to me each season and say, congratulations. It's an honor to be on the field with you. Yes, once you get into the guts of the game, it's a different, you know, we're we're all down to business. I'll never forget my second year, Sam. My first year, I wanted to go under the radar, right? I didn't want to ruffle the crew. I didn't, you know, draw attention to myself. My second season i got a preseason game in New York and there's a coach that comes up to me, an assistant coach. And he says, I just want to say thank you. And I said, for what? And he said, for what you're doing. He said, I have coached in this league for 20 plus years and I have two daughters. And because of you, they now think they know more about football than I do. <laughs> and that has stuck with me that this, this is going to be impactful. And I want it to be impactful and leave a mark that's positive and empowering and And so the players, yes, they see me in stripes, it's business, but before and after the game, it's congratulations and it's um, an honor to be on the field with you. And of course, it's an honor for me to be on the field with all of them. I can tell you college was pretty humorous. I remember um, somebody yelling, you need to take your panties off your head. Um, You throw your flag like a girl.
3: (laughs) Which is a great thing, by the way.
4: (laughs) Now, there's a lot of trolls that hide behind social media and they say, hey, why is she in the kitchen and all this? But as far as the players and the coaches in the NFL, um, anybody that I've encountered in the NFL, no one has ever said you don't belong. It's been the complete opposite.
3: Belonging does not mean blending in. Coming up. The impact of one long, blonde ponytail on an NFL field. And speaking of impact.
4: And so they hit me and they pinned my feet down and they sling me back and my hat flew off and there was a gasp in the stadium. I think they all realized, oh, it's the girl.
3: (laughs) Sarah Thomas hits the frozen tundra hard.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars. Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
3: When I have moments of doubt, trying to make change, I think about this story. When Sarah Thomas was hired as a college official in 2007, she was listed as S.B. Thomas, not Sarah. The commissioner of the conference didn't know they had hired a woman. The guy who hired Sarah, Gerald Austin, a former NFL official himself, also told her to tuck her ponytail into her hat. Sarah says he did it to protect her.
4: Let me say this about him telling me to tuck my hair. I've learned that there was no one that looks like me, but Gerald Austin had walked this walk. And if he felt the need, and he was a white male that had been in the league and he knew the scrutiny that he would be, he was under week in and week out. He knew if I walked out there immediately, I'd be stereotyped. So I do respect him for that. I really do. But then he told me to wear little or no makeup. And I told him there was no way in this world I would go without makeup. There would be cameras and I, <laughs> there's just no way. But, and also I didn't have the, the, the snapback. It was only the fitted cap. And I just gotten accustomed to it, but Gerald diversifying and not being afraid to do it, I want to say yes, here I am working on the field. But if Gerald Alston hadn't had taken a chance on hiring Sarah Thomas, who knows? Who knows?
3: Let's dig deeper into that point on inclusion, Sarah. I think that's a very important one. So when you started your career in college in the NFL, you were asked to keep your hair up in your fitted cap because they didn't want you to stand out. And really, they wanted you to, they were trying to protect you and put you in a position to do do your job well. But can you talk about the evolution of that? Because it's very important for women to be able to be themselves when they're trying to succeed in their jobs.
4: Well, Gerald told me to tuck my hair and, and I ended up doing that and it became a bit, I'm telling you, it, it felt weird. I mean, tucking this hair. Do I braid it? Do I put a ponytail? Are there little scragglers hanging? I mean, you know, you just, I, and I'm constantly worried about my <laughs> dagum hat and how my hair looks or what the appearance it looks like. You know, I've got this big old bubble on my, you know, it's just, it looked odd and it felt odd and progressed. And I, I get hired into the NFL and nobody in the NFL told me I could not wear my hair out, but I'm just, you know, superstitious guess, you know, this is how I've done it and I'm going to do it. And you called me my fourth season, actually. And I remember thinking to myself, we were talking about, Sarah, what about your hair? We're seeing more and more females and they're wearing their hair down. What do you? Why don't you wear your hair down? And I said, well, I just don't like the look of it. You know, it's like it's fitted and it's down and the bun looks good, but it's, it just wasn't me. And I told you, I said, I would wear a ponytail and a snapback. And y'all sent me them.
3: It was pretty simple. We sent her NFL officiating hats with a hole in the back.
4: Plus, I have a 102-year-old aunt, and she can spot me a lot easier on the field seeing so my blonde ponytail.
3: <laughs> so can all the hundred thousands of kids that are watching you on Sundays. Let's be clear to our listeners, though, Sarah, this is not about vanity. This is about being who you are on the field. And when when men struggle to understand this, I often ask them to picture coaching their daughter's lacrosse team in a dress. And will people take you seriously if you were in a dress coaching? And that's how we feel when you make us fit into a box that isn't us, right? You are a big blonde ponytail, right? You are a woman and you're a proud woman on the sidelines. And so I applaud the NFL officiating department and applaud you for really saying, no, this is not good. We could be better than this, right? And then we yeah. were better. We got better.
4: That's right. And gosh, am I going to steal that line from you? Yeah, we're in a dress at your <laughs> daughter's lacrosse. I can't wait for that one. I'm going to use that one. <laughs>
3: Sarah, your position used to be called Headlinesman, right? That's right. That changed when you came into the league. How did that happen? What's your position called now? Talk to us about that. Yeah, forever it's been called Headlinesman.
4: And somebody asked me, they said, Sarah, are they going to, if what if you were a Headlinesman? Even when like, I was in college or or uh, officiating in high school, are they going to say Headlines woman? Or are they going to say Headlines person? Because you're not a man. and I didn't even, I, it just changed and it was great. Like I was told the positions changing from head linesman to down judge, whoever are doing all of this forward thing. And I just, I've never been able to say thank you, but it is great. I do say this though, Sam, too. Those digits on my back or a DJ or an LJ, they do not help me with fourth and inches at the goal line on the last play of the game. <laughs> but I am telling you the, the fact that it is down judge, why wouldn't it be? You know, you've got a line judge, a down judge, field judge, side judge, but we're all, you know, except for the referee and umpire. But it's great that it's just non-gender and it's a position. It's a professional position and it's non-gender.
3: This reminds me of what Gerald Austin said about Sarah when he hired her. Quote, if she does a good job, she'll have a very positive effect. We're seeing it every day. A couple years ago, you spoke at the Boys and Girls Club of America and you got a note from someone after, and I'll leave it anonymous. But something she said was, I wanted to let you know that the number of girls who have signed up to be officials have increased from 43 to 258 in one year because you came and spoke to them. The impact that you are having on young girls' involvement in sports is immeasurable. Talk to us about what that felt like to read that, that impact.
4: It's sad to me that little girls wouldn't take a chance. And it is so rewarding and humbling and just, I'm in awe that it's me. I mean, you are going to get me, Terry. I mean, that they hear someone, they see it, and the numbers go from that to 200 and something. Just so honored. And I, I I just, I stress to any groups I talk to, no matter the age, because if they're raising daughters or granddaughters or they're around nieces or nephews or just some childhood kid that's next door, right? I just tell them they can do anything they want. And the number of people that come up to me around just the neighborhood, I had a sweet friend text me this morning. She just said, to see you, talk to anybody, wave at strangers and um love on your kids and your daughter. And, and she said, just, um, she said, you're walking the walk. And so I always want to be authentic. And it, it, it is, it's just crazy to me that um, the impact this is having. And I don't want to stop here. There's so much more I'm going to do. And um, I, don't, I don't know where that's going to be. I don't know if I'm calling my shot on this one here, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not stopping here.
3: And Sarah, you called me a few days before the Super Bowl in what was one of the most memorable calls I've received. And you talked about your daughter, Bailey, and the impact that her seeing you at this game will have on her and, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids in this country. Can you share with the the listeners some of what you told me about how important that is to you, that Bailey sees her mom on the sidelines of a Super Bowl?
4: Sam, you remember a few years ago, you asked me about wearing my hair out. And I said, I would wear it out if I had a snapback. Can you believe that my daughter, during the start of the 2020 season, she looked at me one night and she said, Mom, because of you and you get to wear your hair out when I officiate, I can just be me and be a girl. And when you hear your own daughter say that, you you know that there are so many other young girls that are out there seeing the same thing.
3: A post on Instagram that your son Posted soon after the game to the strongest and most independent woman I know, Mom. I would be lying if I said I was just proud of you. All that you have just done makes me speechless.
4: He must have wanted something, and you know, like a new car or something. That's why he's <laughs> putting it out there. No. I, I, I kid you not, Sam. Yeah, getting the honor to work the Super Bowl, amazing. And the crew I was on with Sean Hockley, we had a great crew that year. And I, I, I tell them thank you all the time. But The biggest joy I've received from working the Super Bowl is being able to hear my kids be interviewed and just like that with really posted and and not ashamed to put it out there and listening to him say, hey, yeah, my mom's hard nosed, and we may have our debates, he said, but they just don't make them like her anymore. And, And then when he's asked, like, does she miss a lot of things? And of course, you know, as a mom, I know that I've missed tons of stuff. And he just goes, no, uh, she's been there for me and she's been there for the important things. And so I just tell all those moms out there, listen, just be present when you're there and, and they'll forget that you miss the Halloween party when they were in preschool.
3: Sarah's got three kids and one of the hardest jobs in sports. I've had an inside view. I still don't know how any of the NFL officials do it week in and week out.
4: Yeah, a lot of fans and I get this I get this question a lot. Like, what do you do? What do you call? And and I go, they're like, Do you just call like false starts or um offside? And I go, I do it all. I mean I could call rough of the passer if the quarterback comes all the way outside and he gets hit and you know the white hat's running or the umpire and they don't see it or whatever. I mean my down judge position, I do it all. And I'm constantly having to go, all right, I, I, there's lines that mean something to us and when it creates a foul. And my pre stat routine, if you only knew what was going through my head from the last dead ball to the next snap, uh, people would be mesmerized because it's nonstop. We're, we're snapping from here. This means something. That line means something. Okay, they're lined up right. All right, we get the ball off and then it's dependent on the formation. What am I going to be looking at? Do I have forward or backward pass? Do I have the quarterback that goes beyond the line of scrimmage for a foul? I mean, they don't know that I'm watching that, and I am. But it's it's nonstop from the dead ball to the next snap.
3: It's a lot. The job is cerebral and quite physical. In 2016, Sarah got rocked on the sideline.
4: Yeah, you know, it was funny because when I was interviewed in 2011, I remember being asked, what's going to happen when you get hit? And I just said, well, I hope your concern is for all the officials because I'm bigger than some of the men that you hired, You know, <laughs> and they got a big laugh out of that. But yeah, it was uh, Christmas Eve, a bombing 29 degrees in Green Bay. And the Vikings were playing the Packers. And it was fourth quarter around the seven minute mark. So the quarterback, I had responsibility for him if he goes beyond the, the line of scrimmage. But he kind of flared out. He didn't come right at me. And so I didn't go too far back into the white. And so I'm watching him. And when I watch him, that meant I took my eyes off of the receiver and the defender. And as soon as he slings it for a pass, I turn to look at the feet. And when I do, I get trucked by two players, one being Kyle Rudolph.
0: And the pass is caught by Kyle
4: Rudolph.
3: If you can't picture Kyle, let me help you. The tight end is six foot six and weighs close to 270 pounds.
4: And so they hit me and they pinned my feet down and they slinged me back and my hat flew off and there was a gasp in the stadium. I think they all realized, oh, it's the girl.
0: <laughs> and then a collision along the sideline with the line judge. Her head snapped back off the hard ground here at Lambeau Field. So hopefully she's OK.
4: And so... My head hit my head hit the frozen tundra, but I had the bun. That was probably what protected my head.
0: And Sarah Thomas, the line judge, who popped right back up, you could yeah, you could see her say, I'm all right.
4: But I come up and I knew something was wrong with my wrist. So they take me back to the trainer's room. And when I got into that tunnel, I lost my religion. I was so mad at myself. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. The girl got hit on national television on Christmas Eve. What did I do wrong? Why did I get hit? So they take me back. They x-ray, say I have a broken wrist. I get on the trainer's table. There's a player sitting there doing something. And I look up in the game. There's four minutes and something left to go in this game. And I went, put this plan on me. I'm going back in this game. And the guy sitting on the trainer's table, he goes, you're one bad. You know what? <laughs> and then... Security was like, You're not serious, are you? I said, Oh yes, I belong out there. And so I went back through that tunnel and I it was I was on the O to O, the official to official, and it was a two-minute warning. They were all the way at the opposite end zone. And I said, Hey fellas, you care if I join you? And they were all like, Hell yeah, girl, get down here. And so I tell everybody it was like the chariots of fire. I felt like I was running the whole way and <laughs> I got down there and, and we finished the game. I get back into my locker room. and You can imagine my kids blew up my phone, everybody. And so I call my kids and they go, hey, mom, are you okay? And I said, yes. I said, I just have a broken wrist. And they go, well, you do know you got run over by Rudolph on Christmas Eve because it was Kyle Rudolph and it was Christmas Eve. But... <laughs> yeah. So I have a nice plate and seven screws there and a pin there, but um You know, that's where I go back to that. Don't prove people wrong. I I knew I belonged out there. I wanted to to be out there. And so even though I had a broken wrist,
3: I could still go work. That story blows my mind every time I hear it. If you Google that video, holy shit. Sarah, you talked about, you know, that you're not finished yet and that you have a lot of work left to do in this. You know, you are the first, but now you're not the only, right? We have a second on-field official in Maya Shaka, a friend of yours. Talk about how did she get involved in the game and, and what's next for you, her and the rest of the women who want to get into officiating? Maya
4: and I have been co-workers and, and have formed a great friendship over the years. She came into conference, she would say, and we've talked several times and her telling me, thank you for paving this way for her. And, and she's picked my brains about many things that are off the field. But you know, when you make it to the NFL, there's 121 of us. And the work that you've done to get here are reasons that we've been selected. And Maya, she's 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 going to put in the work. She's going to continue to put in the work. And I love it that we're able to pick each other's brains and talk about things. And she knows the importance of having the male mentors, too, the ones that have walked this before us. And, you know, it's just welcome to the NFL and congratulations to Maya.
3: Absolutely, and certainly for women of color and girls of color in this country, watching our first woman of color who will be an official on the field this season is incredibly exciting. Yeah. Sarah, week three of the 2020 season was a special moment for women in football. Many of us had goosebumps watching that game on the sidelines where we saw Cleveland Browns coach Callie Brownson, Washington football team running backs coach Jennifer King, and you officiating a game. When we talk about women in football, We don't want firsts, right? We want normalization. We want ubiquity. And that game demonstrated ubiquity for maybe the first time in NFL history.
4: Sam, I love it when you say, let's just get to a place where there's not a first. And that is the mindset of every woman on the sideline that I have met that is coaching or in some role. They don't want to be the first. And they're there to do their job because they're capable of doing their job. But if we can run a household and work in America, why can't we be a part of football? If we love it, we're doing the job. We're very capable. We're smart enough. We we want to do it. And like you, I, I say that about my daughter and so many young girls. I am ready for the day where they don't have to ask, can girls do that? They just go and they do it, but having them on the sideline and in the capacities that they're in, wow. And we're just wondering, when we were doing the photo shoot, we knew, well, the, the photo opportunity, the photo shoot, like we were some glamour girls, but but when we were sitting there taking the picture, it was literally, we both were like, all right, let's do this. And it's like, congratulations, congratulations. And we go, I mean, we got jobs to do, right? But we know, we all know the impact this is going to have and that it did have and being a part of it, you know, it was amazing.
3: Sarah, where do you see football sidelines in five to 10 years? Gosh, Sam,
4: five to 10 years. There's, there's been a whole lot that's happened in six seasons, seven seasons that I've been in the NFL. I cannot imagine what it's going to be like in five to 10 years. I can tell you this. I'll be shocked. Let me say this. There should be a head coach, a you female know, in the NFL. Who that will be, the experience that she has. I don't know. There's people way above my pay grade that know all that stuff, Sam, but I just know the opportunities that are there for women on the sideline are right there.
3: I personally can't wait until the day that I get to see a female head coach arguing a call with Sarah from the sidelines. I could have talked to Sarah all day long, but I knew I only had time for one last burning question. All right, Sarah, everyone wants to know, I want to know, you officiated your first Super Bowl game. Did you get a ring? I sure did. But, you know, you talk about progression.
4: Okay, so whenever I work the Super Bowl, one thing they talk about is your ring. And I just text Sarah D'Angelo at the office and I said, hey, I'm not going to get a ring and I don't want a pendant because they're the men's and they're just huge And I said, but could I get, you know, just kind of like a knockoff, like a CZ or something for my two boys and, uh, you know, have something, maybe a pendant for my daughter later on in life. And she emailed me back and she said, Sarah, they want to make a woman's Super Bowl ring for you. And I went, okay. And they sent me a couple of designs and I looked at them and um, and I chose this one. And I thought to myself, I probably won't wear it. it. You know, I probably won't wear it. I don't take it off. I take it off for the games, but they made a woman's Super Bowl ring. I I wear it all the time. I'm so proud of it. I did change one little thing up, though. The guys put their last name on it, right? But I told them I wanted my first name, Sarah, to put the feminine touch on it instead of it being Thomas. So it's pretty special.
3: Love it. Sarah, part of the path you're blazing is now female officials will have hats that suit their hairstyle. You've created a female Super Bowl ring, which is absolutely incredible. For people who are not fortunate enough to have ever touched a Super Bowl ring, that thing must weigh like 10 pounds. (laughs) It's not very conducive for a woman to wear it on her hand because of the size of it. So the fact that you created one, you know, specifically for women who would want a ring like yours, the legacy you're leaving in this league, Sarah, is immeasurable. And the impact that you've had on girls, women, boys, men, every football fan in this country because of what you're doing is nothing short of remarkable. And I just want to thank you so much for everything that you're doing to make this game better and a little bit more like America.
4: Oh, Sam, my honor. You're the best, I'm telling you.
0: This season on Earning It, we meet the people in the bunker with Sam. Making change. Head coaches. Owners. And of course, the women themselves. I just
4: wanted to get better. I wanted the D-lines that I was in charge of to be absolutely obnoxious
3: and feared and hated across any league that I coached. You're bringing more vantage points to the table. You're bringing more perspectives to the table. And with that comes value.
0: I think every business should have that model of getting the biggest number of voices and different ideas to have your business model
3: off of, rather than everyone looks alike, everyone thinks alike.
4: He said, you're gonna nail them again whenever you work Super Bowl 55 in Tampa. I had to pull over on the side of the road, you know, to make sure I didn't lose cell service and that I wasn't hearing something that wasn't true. And just knowing, and he said, you've earned it. Sam Rappaport, he's like the, the
3: godfather of
1: women in football. None of us would be here without Sam's effort.
3: I owe her everything be sure to watch for Earnin' it the five-part tv series from nbc and nfl films coming to nbc and peacock in january
0: you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower